my very best to get this job that I so crave. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the uh, Fan Zone Debate 2023 tournament. A big old 16-person tournament. Um, last time we did this, I want to say it was in 2021. It was a magical time. Uh, two years ago. Gross. Uh, but now we're here in 2023 for the big tournament. Very excited about this. Uh, and to start us off, we got a good one. We got the uh, number one seed, Bill Cariola. Challenge for the belt last season and uh, an impressive rookie run going up against the number 16 seed, Mike, Mr. DVD Hanley. Um, I'm scared. Um, Brian, uh, I just threw in the screen room. I didn't even ask his permission. And then Kirk, I just told. I was like, you're, you're, you're getting put in there. It's happening. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me for this and uh, going through this process with me. Uh, Kirk, welcome back to the judges chair. It's been a while since we've seen you as a judge. How are you doing, my friend, and uh, what do you think about this matchup? I'm doing well. Um, I'm excited. Um, I think this is one that people have wanted to see. Um, two uh, pretty big wild cards in the whole – well, in the community in general at large, but also specifically in debate. Um, I've played Bill, and um, I know he can throw some curveballs, and you know we've all seen Mike play, and we know what he does. So uh, bringing those two mega powers together is going to be interesting. Um I, I'm kind of scared to see what happens. That's fair. Uh, Brian, what about you? I don't know, man. Uh, I mean, you both use the right word when scared. It's like, I don't know what's going to come out of either of these people's mouths. They're going to get this whole channel canceled. Who knows what's going to go on, man? Let's just have fun. Well, we have a lawyer. Uh, so let's get into this. We're going to start by talking to the number 16 seed, Mr. Mike Hanley. Mike. Yes. Welcome back to Fan Zone Debate. The last time we saw you, you played uh, Joe Farrelly. I was not present for that match. I was dealing oh, I was. with something at the time. <laughs> Did I, I get a point in that match? I don't remember, but oh. I know that you played it and and you, you had fun. Kirk and Brian were there, I think. Uh, and now you're back to play Bill in the tournament. What do you think? First, I didn't know it was a tournament. Secondly, I didn't know it was 16 seats, but, you know, fuck it. You know? Chat name is literally number one Bill versus number 16 Mike. You think I look at chats? Shit. Fair. <laughs> Fair. Are you excited? Yeah. Fuck it. Great. Uh, let's bring in the number one seed, Bill. Bill, welcome. You made it to the number one seed. Kind of crazy. Uh, and you talk down on yourself a lot with the whole debate thing. But you've done very well for yourself. You played it for a title, and now you're the number one seed of a tournament. So good shit. Are you pumped? I'm fucking so pumped. I'm also still real pissed after the Super Bowl, and I need to take that anger out of somebody. Mike, we're friends. I'm sorry. You're going to be my bitch today because oh, yeah. I need to yell at some fucking people. Can you do me a favor, actually, just to make me just to make it a little bit? Do you have a ref shirt? You can put on so I can just I fucking yell at you. Okay. You just put a white stripe okay, on. Okay, don't make me call holding on this play. Uh, so oh, motherfucker, too soon. <laughs> so uh, we're going to get into the match. Uh, this is how it's going to work. Uh, Bill and Mike drafted some categories for us. Then we gave them some questions based on those categories. They're going to debate them before our very souls this evening. Uh, they are going to get one minute to open their arguments, followed by a five-minute free form, followed by a one-minute closing. Then, after we've heard all of the arguments, Kirk, Brian, and I will write on our handy-dandy boards who we thought won that point, 
Best two out of three votes wins the point, and the first person to three points wins the match. If we are tied out of four prep questions, we will go to a bonus speed round question. Gentlemen, do you guys have any questions as we get into the match? What are the actual categories? All right. Oh, this is going to be a night. And, and for the record, last time Mike did not get a point, but did get one vote. Hell yeah! Nice. That's my goal. One vote. Let's go. <laughs> go Here for two go. this time. Let's do it. Right. Uh, we are going to get right into this, starting with the first question, which was drafted by Bill in the category of law and order. The so happy it's is, here. I really am. I'm just so happy. I am too. Honestly. I'm so happy. Uh, the question is, what is the best joke in a Beverly Hills Cop movie? Uh, so, Bill, because you drafted this, you get to go first. Uh, you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. I will come in to give you a 10-second uh, se warning, sorry, when the time comes. So for me, the best joke in all of the Beverly Hills Cop movies uh, is the vitamin scene from Beverly Hills Cop 2. Now, if you're not familiar, I will paint a picture. It's Ackleslow needs to get into this gun club. He knows the guy he needs to speak to, and he's got to get past, like, you know, the people at the front desk. And he takes Billy's vitamins, walks them in, and then proceeds to elaborately just pump this lady at the front desk with that these are the, these, these very sound, like, triggering, like, devi like, explosive devices. He, like, pretends to be sweating, and it's him riffing for a solid two minutes, bouncing off this just completely straight-laced woman, and it's just Eddie Murphy at his goofy funniness. And I love this scene so much. It still makes me laugh. Like, every time I watch it some 30, 40 years later, and it's just his delivery of everything, of just pretending to be this, like, foppish kind of idiot. But at the same time, he's reading the room, and it's just a wonderfully constructed scene. Fucking Eddie Murphy rules in this. Time. Okay. Uh, we're going to move over to Mike. Mike, you have one minute when you start talking. Best joke in a Beverly Hills Cop movie is in Beverly Hills Cop 1 where Eddie Murphy gets thrown out of the villain's office and he literally gets thrown out the fucking window by the little security guys and then the cops show up and shit happens. Okay. Uh, ending about 45 seconds early. Uh, five minutes reform when one of you starts talking. Let it not be said you're not efficient there, Mr. Hanley. So. Goddamn right. I'm going hey, for the record. Uh, okay, cool. Hey, Mike, quick question. Why the chicken cross the road? Why? To get to the other side. I like it. Why is it shouldn't cross the road? Get to the other side. Do you get that? Do you got you got it the first time, right? Yes. But when I repeat it more and more and more, it kind of loses its bite, which is the whole setup for yours. It's just Eddie Murphy yelling, I got thrown out of a fucking window for two minutes straight. And that's the joke. And that's it. It's like kind of like, joke because the cops show up. And instead of going in the office to find out, they just automatically arrest Eddie Murphy. Uh, yeah, but that, that, that's even that's not like yeah, it's no, just. No, 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 no. Yeah, they, you throw out the window. They arrest him for disturbing the peace. Yeah, I know. He drills the, the same point. He got thrown out of the window. It's it's kind of like whatever. You know what I the get it. getting thrown out of a moving vehicle is. 
Oh, let me guess. Uh, jaywalking? Goddamn right it is. Yeah, jaywalking. I know. It's it's kind of a forced bit, but in my scene, he's actually doing a joke because he's doing a bit, and it's really fucking funny. And I got thrown up a fucking window, like, loses his bite the eighth or ninth time you hear it. You know it gets funnier every time I hear it because he says it once. Oh, we almost got fucked up there. Every time that line delivery is fucking gold from Eddie Murphy. That scene in general is rehash of the first one with the banana and the tail bite. It's the same type of bit. He does a bit to get there. It's just an extended bit in the second one. It's nothing too extreme. It's just Eddie Murphy being Eddie Murphy. And that's why that scene works, where it's just Eddie Murphy yelling, and there's no real joke. It's just him complaining about the situation that he's in. Mine, he's actually constructing a that joke. It's a joke. It's a physical joke of him being thrown out the window and the ensuing madness of the cops arresting him because of that and the ridiculousness that they don't even... Wait, uh, what's the word for it? They don't even um, uh, investigate what's going on. And that's not even the funniest joke in the movie. The funniest joke in the movie is tell this guy I have herpes at this like fancy dinner. And just the waiter's like reaction to it. That's the funny joke. <laughs> you should have went with that one because that's a fucking hilarious scene. I'm just saying, man. Like, you had a better joke in your own film. Mine, I have the funniest joke in my film. Uh, that no. whole so scene. The funniest yeah. joke is George Reinhold at the end with the fucking two shotguns basically becoming Rambo. That is the funniest part of Beverly Hills Cop, too. No, no. I oh, mean, yeah. it's fine. I, I almost would have gave it to you if you said Gilbert Goffrey, but you didn't. But mine is funnier because, like, here's the beauty of it. Like, it's like Axel walks, it, and it, it really, not only is it funny, it builds the Axel character because he walks into this building. He knows what he has to do. He reads the room immediately and he has figured out how he's going to get around all this. It's him acting on his feet and improving his way through this front desk. And the best part is one minute into this conversation with this woman, he has exactly what he wants. He keeps the bit going just to fuck with her. Like he already has to, Hey, she's like, please just take that to his office. Get it out of here. And he decides to just drag it on a little further. Like, what about my kids? My friend Bootsy died. What am I going to do about them? And it's just like, he, he cons her out of money. And that even pays off later when he gets back to the car. And Billy's like, where are my vitamins? He's like, oh, here's 20 bucks. Get yourself some new vitamins. He's like, do you fucking sell my vitamins? What the fuck just happened here? <laughs> like, it just keeps building and getting funnier. Yours is just, I got thrown out of a window. You said it builds the character. It builds the character in the first one because that sets up the whole thing. The whole prospect of him and the police of Beverly Hills of how they're going to deal with him throughout the entire movie. They don't really care for him. They don't like him. It show, That's the beginning of it. That builds off of that. It goes. From I mean, it sets up in Detroit of like the kind of cop he is. You already know what he's going to do. Like in Beverly Hills, cop, different cops, different station. They have no idea who he is, and that builds off the whole section of who he is compared to Beverly Hills cop in Detroit. They don't know until they make the phone call to Detroit later on. It's the thing is, them. yours is just like, I repeat this thing over and over again. Maybe it's funny. So, it's like, it's the scary it's movie good. argument I had just he last year. Same joke as well in that. He repeats it all the way and he goes, oh, oh, vitamins. Oh, oh. oh my God. If you're gonna, and, and like, the best part is, it's like, he constructs this thing and he's just like, she's like, let me call him real quick. He's like, oh no, these things are active by sound. If you just make a phone call, if you break wind, make sure it's one of those quiet ones. It's like perfectly just tailored to this person. And it gets him out of the situation. He gets everything he wants, and then he still keeps going just to keep the bit alive. I got thrown out of a yeah, fucking window. I got thrown out of a fucking window. Again and again. Like you just said for the first one. So if it's not working in the first one, it doesn't work in the second one. And it's like so he's it's actually being funny here. Like, And that's the that's the beauty of it. He's doing one of those bits that made him great on Saturday Night Live, whereas yours is just, I'm yelling on the angry black guy, and here it is. And like that's the whole trip. 
it's not him being funny. It's the whole prospect of the scene being funny. All right. Uh, Mike, we're going to start with you. You have one minute to close when you start talking. My scene has the entire joke of the movie, which is Eddie Murphy can't stand, can't handle the Beverly Hills Cop Police Department. They always fall back and forth, and it all starts with him being thrown out the window and them arresting him for that because he did nothing wrong. He's got thrown out the window. He does that. In Bill's scene, he builds off a joke that just becomes stale after the first ten seconds. If they would have ended on ten seconds, I would agree with him. But there are better jokes in the second one compared to the first one that he could have used. But he didn't. He went with that one, which isn't as funny as him being thrown out the window and then suing madness. Okay. Ending about 30 seconds early. We're going to go over to Bill uh, for his one-minute closing. You have one minute when you start talking. I mean, Mike even just said it right there. There's better jokes in two than are on the first one. And I, I believe I did pick the best joke in the first one. While Mike's scene is great, it's not really a comedy scene. It's more meant to set up the tension for him and the police as he elaborates. But, like, him just yelling, I got thrown out of a window, I got thrown out of a window. Like, there's no real joke in that scene. It's just him getting angry and building up that. In my scene, it's literally all built on a joke it starts with him getting the vitamins and then it goes with him getting in the office and him reading up the woman and knowing he has to get past her and elaborate and just doing this whole kind of goofy shtick that eddie murphy was famous for it's just why we loved him on saturday live and it's why we love him in this movie and it's why it all works it's like him reading the room him thinking on his feet him improving for like a good solid two minutes him realizing he already has what he wants and then he just needs to fuck with this person a little more because he can't even get away with it. And then it all pays off wonderfully when he gets back to the car and he has to give the money he just took from this woman to Billy. It's a wonderfully great bit. We almost got fucked up there. Still makes me laugh to this day. Time. Okay. All right. Let's bring in the judges. Both these scenes are funny, just over so quick. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. These movies are great. The third one, yeah. I don't know what the fuck happened. Oh, yeah, no, the third one is fucking Third crazy. one's the, just, it's the third worst thing John Landis ever did. Yeah. Are you guys good, judges? Okay. Uh, I'm going to go first. Um, after Mike's opening, I was a little worried. That he was just going to kind of throw this. Uh, but I thought he did really well. He raised some excellent points that I thought um, made this a much tighter. Uh, I haven't seen Kirk's cat in a while. Nice. Uh, that made it a little closer. Uh, but And I thought Mike's closing was really strong. But I also thought Bill's closing was really strong. I did go with Bill. Um, I thought Bill painted a better picture for me of the uh, joke um, and the scene overall um, that we were looking at. Um and I thought that he was able to uh, punch some pretty good holes in Mike's. So I went with Bill. Uh, Brian, where are you going? Uh, first of all, Bill, is one of the first two worst things that John Landis did, uh, raising Max Landis? That is his number one. Number two is Twilight Zone, the movie. Okay, I thought it might be. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying Max Landis is a fucking scourge. So. <laughs> I, mean, I, had to, I had to give him out 26. It was implied. Died. I want everyone else to know what he was People saying. People die. I know, and it's still not the worst thing he did. Wow. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I, I also voted for Bill. I thought that Mike, you know, he actually did a good job of, of, uh, of uh, arguing how uh, that his joke, his his scene set up the whole way that that, that they're going to treat him for the rest. They kind of builds off it for the rest of the of the movie and even the series. But as far as which is the actual uh, funnier joke or scene, um, I thought Bill did a better job of kind of painting picture of the scene, talking about how you know 
he was able to improv how he kept going you know for even after he got what he wanted to just just to fuck with the lady uh, and how it paid off later on and it was like a complete joke i'm not it's a good argument all right uh kirk you're about to count where would you have gone online uh i also went with philadelphia um I think that he, like you guys said, he just painted a better picture. Uh, Mike's argument came on strong and it's closed. I think that's the first point, honestly, that where I started to really understand what his joke was, like what it was in in the context of the movie. Um, you know, if we got more of that in the in the in the bait itself, and he'd gone deeper into that, um, I think it would have been a much closer fight. But I think Bill just did a much better job painting the picture, explaining why it's funny. Um, you know, the whole setup payoff thing. You know, just a lot more points for it. So I'd go with Bill. All right. Uh, we're going to move on to the second question. This one was drafted by Mike. It's in the category of fantasy. The question is, what fantasy movie should uh, more people see? Uh, so, Mike, you're going to get to kick this one off. Uh, you have one minute to open when you start talking. I think the fantasy movie that should more people should see is Reign of Fire. All right, I think about 54 seconds early. Uh, we're going to move over to Bill. That made the McCall laugh. Uh, good. Uh, Bill, you have one minute to open. When you start Can laughing. I get like some of his time, too, just to make up for it? So anyway, I was not ready for that. I'm sorry. Give me like two seconds. The movie I think more people should see is a i'm not going to say perfect film but it is a film i enjoyed when i grew up and it's one i go back to from time to time again and it is crawl which is kind of a sword and sorcery meets star wars kind of movie came out in the early 80s directed by peter yates you know from bullet and other great films and I I enjoy this film, and I think like more people should probably enjoy this too. While it's some hokey bits, but that but that is kind of part of the charm. It is kind of a lived-in world. It's very wonderfully shot. Some of the scenes are fantastic. A lot, all of the effects are done like practically, which I am always a big fan of. And who doesn't love sword fighting with lasers? Somehow, also, um, it's it's kind of insane. Not going to lie, but I thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, it's my kind of movie, and I think more people should uh, watch Crow. And also, the Glaive's the fucking greatest weapon ever. Fight me. Right. Uh, well, that's what Mike is going to have to do is fight you. So, five-minute free form. Let's do it. He starts talking. Okay, so Vayne of Fire has one of the greatest fucking openings for a fantasy-type movie. It's Christian Bale is a little kid with his mom. They're down in, like, the mines and shit like that. And then they see, like, um, uh, the fucking uh, dragon scale. They don't know it's dragon scale. They just think it's the uh, fucking um, wall and then they you hear the people scream and as they start running you see the fire coming out and then you see the dragon attack the fucking elevator shaft and kill his mom and then it cuts to him as christian Absolutely. fucking bale christian yep. fucking bale and then you got Absolutely. matthew mcconaughey absolutely fucking madman he does fucking yep. america right there yeah you know what else this movie did made its budget back Goddamn right, it did. Yeah, it did. You know why? Because uh, people went and saw it. Yeah, yeah. More people should have fucking seen it though, because it only made its budget back. It needs to make. It, uh, it, it made twenty over its budget. My my film didn't even remotely break even. Yeah, because it didn't need to. It's crawl. There's nothing really good about it. It's yeah, but there's better fantasy movies out there than crawl. Uh, the there, yeah, there probably is. But the nice thing about my movie is. Uh, it's gotten a reappraisal over the years by a lot of different people. 
who have found a lot of things to love about this film. Uh, if you go back and look at it, I think like all movies did a whole thing on it. I think it was like Jason Buchanan where he did this whole thing of like, uh, it's ambitious. It tries. It it really attempts to build this crazy world. The Black Fortress is like one of the coolest things I've ever seen. The Glaive is a fantastic weapon that's even been picked up and put. They use the Glaive in Ready Player One. You know what doesn't show up in Ready Player One? Anything from Rain of Fire. Because, like, it's forgettable and who really cares. More Enough people saw it and they didn't want more. And that's the thing. But the action of Crawl is the fact that the reason that we didn't get more is because no one needed more from it. It did what it did. It's corny. There's better, there's better corny movies from the 80s that are fantasy ethics. They can go and see this movie. Enough people saw it. It got to be appraisal, but for the corniness, nobody else really needs to see it. It got the yeah. Betty Player One had a shitload of fucking references, just because it has it there. It also had shit from other movies that, like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Michael Bay ones that no one gave a shit about. It still had that in there. Rain of Fire has Matthew McConaughey facing off one on one with the fucking dragon, where he goes, "Do not fuck this shit. I'm gonna jump off the building like a badass, but not under an eagle this time. Not under a fucking bird." No, he's going to go to the fucking dragon with the goddamn axe. Dragon yeah, that sounds awesome, man. That's why everyone went and saw it. Not everyone went and see it, though. More people should go and see it. Because like you said, it has been forgettable over the years. So people yeah. need to go see people, it. That's the thing is, I don't think more people need to see this because they saw it and they had to cancel a sequel. Like, they had planned this whole series. And, you know, there was just nothing there. I'm sorry. Like, it's the movie's kind of boring. The effects don't really hold up. Not to oh, mention we got be- not to mention like we got better dragons in like Lord of the Rings and fucking ha- well, like Game of Thrones. Of Lord of the Rings compared to but Rain that's all Fire. this movie has is dragons. Mine has that's all you need. Mine has. Can I please? Okay. Mine has the Black Fortress, which is super rad. Not to mention the Crystal Spider. Not to mention the Glaive. Not to mention the Fire Mares, which is one of the coolest concepts I've ever seen. Like, there's just so many great ideas in my movie, and I think more people really need to appreciate it. And I'm not going to say it's a perfect movie, but it is enjoyable, and at least it takes big strides, whereas yours feels very kind of like a committee kind of came up with this, and I feel like any minute Zack Snyder is going to come in with his fucking dour Superman, and everything's brown, and everything's boring, and I just don't care about anything. Like, I'm sorry. It's just... Not like, but everyone saw it. Like, it's gotten more. Like, I, I took a look at Letterbox. There's like eight thousand more reviews for your movie than there are for mine. So clearly, people saw your movie, and I think more. And the people that did see my movie, whether like it's it's very divisive, but there are people that truly love it for what it is. And I think like if given a chance, I think more people will love this movie too. It's great ideas that failed completely. And speaking, since you brought up Lord of the Rings of that, you said the Crystal Spider, they have better spiders in Lord of the Rings. They have a better fucking spider in Lord of the Rings. So if you're going to bring that up, Lord of the Rings did the spider better. Not to mention so, yeah. uh, all the fire-breathing stuff was taken from your movie and done better. It was the same effects, people. They just learned how to make it better for Lord of the Rings. And they also made it better. Like We've seen it done better. So people were seeing the one good thing of your movie in other things. We've seen Crawl done better in every single sort of epic movie past that. Then why do they keep bringing up things like the Glaive and the Black Fortress elsewhere? They don't. Only you do. All right. All right. Uh, we are going to start with Bill to close. Bill, you get one minute when you start talking. 
it's the fact of like we are arguing what's the fantasy movie more people should see. Enough people saw his movie, and it's fine. Like it made its money back. It did a little more over its budget. It wasn't a great success, but it wasn't a failure either. Not a lot of people saw my movie, and I will keep harping on the point that over the years, not only has it grown a cult following, it has been reappraised as uh, you know, like a genuinely good idea from a good director. Like Peter Yates is a good director. He really brings this. Like this was a challenge for him, and he said it in interviews. And you see him, you see the care and the craft of him trying to create this insanely weird sword and sorcery and also scientific futuristic, but also old world. And he's really trying to meld a lot of these ideas done practically. And it's while it doesn't always all land, but also Robbie Coltrane came out of this movie. Fucking not, not to mention him and the guy from taken. Like there was like a bunch of people that actually came from this good eye for actors. All right. Uh, We're going to move over to Mike for his one minute closing when he starts talking. Bill said guy from taking, he doesn't know who the actor is, so it can't be that important. You got Gerard Butler, you got Matthew McConaughey, and you got Christian Bale. Also in the US, it only made $48 million compared to the $60 million budget. So clearly in the US, people need to go see this movie because it's a badass. Troll is done way better in other movies. Just your standard B level sci-fi movie, that, sci-fi fantasy movie that failed. Swords are better in other movies. Chris uh, Spider, better in other movies. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're going to bring in the other judges. If I had more than five seconds, Liam Neeson would have came to my mind. (laughs) (laughs) It's the the fucking taken guy. Why is my brain failing me? (laughs) Oh, that's embarrassing. All right. Judge is good. Yep. Kirk, you're going first. Okay. Um, I would say these questions are tough uh, because when you have something where it's very specific, like a very specific question, it's very easy to fall into. I just like this. This is just a better movie. And that's part of the question, but it's not all of it. Um, So I really wanted to hear specifically why people should see the movie, not just why it's good. So I went with Bill. I think he did a better job. Um, Bill talked about what was good about his movie, not so good about um, Mike's movie, but also he talked about budget, you know, how much money it made, you know, the letterbox reviews, you know, things that have, you know, that had its origins in his movie, uh, you know, the reevaluations gotten. So I think Bill build a better case for his movie needing to be seen more as opposed to just being a really cool movie. So um, I went with Bill. Mike, use your time. You'll probably <laughs> make some more good points if you use your time. <laughs> uh, I'll go next. I actually went with Mike. Uh, oh, yeah. I thought that. Uh, I, there's, your, there's your vote, Mike. Uh, oh, I need it. Yeah. Give up now. So um, I thought that Mike did a good job of kind of taking the stuff that would like just very plainly being like yours is a B movie. And yeah, you're saying it has these things that it, it they've been done better at other movies. And uh, my movie has great visual effects, great actors in it. And I thought the point at the end about that. Uh, normally I don't listen to the box office, like letterbox type stuff, but I thought when bill was hammering that the whole time of like, 
your movie made its budget back. And when Mike was like, it only made 40 million in the US. So clearly people in the US haven't seen it. Well, that was actually a good point. So I went with Mike. I might be crazy. I don't know. Uh, Brian, who's getting this point? Um, well, Mike, um, you're gonna get your second point and your first actual get the fuck out of here. I mean, well, I, I think that in this one, while I agree that he needs to like use his time and give us more in the opening to make it, you know, give himself a better shot, I thought that he did his best work on defense this time because I mean, Bill was attacking with some great stuff as far as you know, you know, other, it's been done better in other movies, things like that, and then attacking with you know more people should see it, things like that. But every time Mike had a response to it, Mike said, well, things in your movie have been better done than other ones as well. And yes, people saw it, but not as many people as should, because in, at least in the U.S., you know, it's it, like you said, with the uh, budget versus stuff, it didn't make its money back in the U.S. It had to depend on additional money from overseas. Um, just a lot of things like that. And I just thought he did a good job of defending and ended up getting the point. Yeah. All right. So Mike uh, gets a point, ties it up one to one. Uh, so we're going to move on to the next question, which was drafted by Bill in the category of horror. The question is, what is the creepiest moment in the Puppet Master franchise? I haven't seen any of these, so I don't know what the fuck we're talking about. But uh, we're going to start with Bill. Bill, you got one minute when you start talking. So in Puppet Master 1, there's a scene where uh, it's it's a guy and a girl having sex. The guy is blindfolded, tied to the bed. And his date is murdered by evil puppets, as you do. And all of a sudden, and this is our introduction to this character, this little woman puppet pops up and starts kind of seducing the guy. And it's really weird. And this weird music's playing. And you're like, where are we going with this? And then all of a sudden... We find out that this puppet spits out leeches. So there's two things that are guaranteed to kind of gross me out. One is body horror, which is kind of why I struggle, even though I love David Cronenberg movies. But number two is any kind of just wet mouth noises. And it is three minutes of a disgusting puppet barfing up leeches on a guy. And I mean, like, guttural gagging noises. And it is one of the foulest, creepiest things and it goes on for five minutes, and you just have to sit there and watch it, and it's my nightmare. Time. It sounds like something I should not show my wife. Uh, all right. Uh, we're going to bring in Mike. Mike, you have one minute when you start talking. Creepiest moment for me is also from the first one, Gallagher in an uh, elevator shaft. He gets stuck there. Multiple puppets are there. One slices his fingers off, and he falls down, and then the other one hooks him. Uh, other one dolls into his leg, he falls down, and then another one hooks his mouth open so a puppet could put a leech down his throat and he chokes on it and dies. Ending about 35 seconds early, not heeding Kirk's warning. Uh, so, guys, uh, gross. Five <laughs> minutes when one of you starts talking. I have five bullet points of why yours is kind of awesome but not creepy. Can I go through those real quick? Yeah. Okay. Yours is the climax of the film, and it's also very cathartic. This is the villain who we find out they've been going after, and he's been mistreating these puppets. And I have a hard time finding it creepy when this person absolutely has it coming. And it is really awesome. Like, we have Driller, who gets him right in the knees. Then we have the little guy, Pinhead, with the human fists, who's like snap it at his ankles like and he's trying to fight back and then all of a sudden here comes blade cuts his fingers off and then driller is right into his ear and they're holding him open and it's like a group effort and it's it's violent 
and it's awesome, but there's nothing about it mood wise that's creepy. Like it's just it, it, it's actually kind of like I, I, I like I'm super pumped when that scene comes up. I'm like, oh, this motherfucker's going to get it. Mayan, I'm sorry, man. This dude is like in the most vulnerable position possible. And he is getting duped into getting murdered. And it's just so gross. Because you see this little puppet's face contorting. And I can't hear that noise without just like retching. I'm sorry, bro. So the score is extremely creepy. And a a lot of people in the world deal with claustrophobia, which you're stuck in a small ass elevator shaft. You get your fingers cut off, which is another creepy moment for most people. People can't deal with fingers, toes, fucking anything like that. They can't deal with it. You get your fingers cut off. And then you get you get fucking swallowed by a goddamn leech down the throat and you have to gag on it. It is very it's extremely creepy, especially with little puppets running around. And there's multiple puppets running around killing your ass. It is extremely creepy. The music sets the tone of that scene. It doesn't matter if he's a villain or not. It can still be a creepy moment with a villain. Is it creepy when the little puppet gets his puppet head pulled off and nothing really happens because he's a puppet? Or is no, that kind happened. of play for... Co- yeah, because the villain of the movie is actually a puppet. That's the big reveal. So they're yeah. killing a puppet. So it's not a person. So immediately I'm just like, I have that, like that tension's gone. So it's not creepy because it's puppet on puppet violence. Like I've seen what happens when a puppet rips off another puppet's head, doesn't register as anything's wrong because it's a puppet. So I'm not going to freak out when a puppet gets his fingers cut off or a puppet gets a leech down his puppet mouth. I'm going to freak out when a human guy starts bleeding because he has eight leeches on him and he can't get out because he's tied to a bed and it's just fucking horrifying and gross and I want my mother. And that's why I didn't choose the puppet getting his head chopped off at the creepy moment. I chose the guy who gets his fingers cut off and gets... You chose the puppet getting his fingers cut off because he's a puppet because that's the big reveal is that the main bad guy is actually a puppet. But he is played by a man. Yeah, but he is a puppet. He doesn't bleed blood. He bleeds puppet flu. Yes. Yeah, it is green blood that comes out, but it's still creepy because he still is an actual man. It is a puppet in a movie, but you have seen a man. Yeah, but he is a puppet. That's the reveal. We know he's the puppet yeah. now. I understand your concept of he's a puppet, yeah. but it's played by a man. So, you so immediately man. all the tension is gone from the scene because I know it's a fucking puppet. I know it's not a guy. I'm watching a guy bleeding from his chest. That is a human dude, and that is awful. And not to mention they quickly go over the leech woman. Like, she's in and out of that scene so fast. This one, my scene, it is five extended minutes of this. It is uncomfortable to watch. Like, I can barely, I have to turn away sometimes watching this scene. It is just horrific, and it keeps going. Yours is done in two minutes, and the bad guy's done, and then we have a nice happy ending. And it's more awesome than it is creepy. It's just not creepy. It's just too good. Like, everything about it is good. Mine is just fucking horrific. It is just like nightmare fuel. It all starts with a sex scene. Uh, another murder scene is done extremely better in a gross-out way. It's called Possession, where a fucking monster uh, had sex with the monster and then gets fucking killed by it. That A way creepier scene than this one. That one yeah, but that's a totally different movie. We're yeah, talking about one, Puppet yes, Master. Yes, but Puppet Master, what I'm saying is that this one does not build on the tension at all. It's just a random scene that happens. You can see it's coming. It's... It's yeah, it goes for five minutes with the throat down the throat, but that's not creepy. That's just gross. This is the creepiest moment. That's the grossest moment in a movie. It's the creepiest moment. It has no 
And yours isn't a creepy moment. I'm sorry. Because it it's like because everyone's everyone's afraid of claustrophobia. Most people are afraid of claustrophobia. That is a but that doesn't even play into the situation yes, at it all. It's, it's him getting attacked shaft. by puppets. Yes, in an elevator shaft in a closed off space. That is where it's creepy. But it literally, it's not built around that. Mine is built around the leeches are coming. His is built around he's got to fight some fucking puppets. You could have done that in a closet. You could have done that in the hallway. Like, it doesn't yes, add to the chose, scene that it's in an elevator. They, cho yes, they chose the elevator shaft because there's Time. people being there. Time. Uh, disregard what Mike was saying. Uh, Mike, we're going to start with you for your closing. Uh, you get one minute to close when you start talking. Gallagher, Gallagher's death scene is the creepiest moment because it has the elevator shaft, so you're dealing with claustrophobia. You're dealing with fingers being cut off, which is very creepy, and you're dealing with multiple puppets coming at you the entire time. Bill's scene is fun. It's not creepy. It's gross. It's more gross than creepy. Okay. Uh, we're going to bring in Bill. Bill, you have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. If you think... Slow torture death by leeches is fun. I never want to go to one of your fucking birthday parties, sir, because that is just awful. I'm sorry. And I'll hammer this point home. Like, I know he keeps harping on about the elevator, but, like, the elevator's incidental is just the setting for it. It doesn't play into it at all. And it's literally a giant puppet getting killed by other puppets. So there's no tension. There's no dread. Mayan is a human man who is in the most vulnerable position possible. He is tied up, and he's being duped. He is being seduced by a fucking lady puppet. Let's just also... That's a fucking problem. And then all of a sudden, she just starts gurging him out. And it's a build-up to this scene because you're like, I don't know where this is going because we haven't seen this thing yet. And that's the big reveal is that she just barfs out leeches slowly for five fucking minutes, making this most... <coughs> I, like, it's just fucking wretched. I can't wait. And it's five minutes to this, and I hate it. It's gross. It's uh. creepy. Creepy strike for the record because he said it after I said time. Uh, <laughs> but all right. Have you met me, Bill? Of course. I'm, I'm just saying, dude, that's a fucked up idea of fun. <laughs> holy, holy fork and short balls, Jesus Christ. All right. You guys ready? All right, Brian, kick us off. Uh, for me, Bill had it pretty much from the very beginning. He was uh, painting a real good picture, sound effects and all, of what made his cre creepy, uh, you know, along with it, you know, you know, puppets seducing a person, things like that. Um, but I thought he also kind of, kind of clinched it when he was able to kind of uh, take away from Mike's choice by talking about how, you know, with his character being the bad guy that you know you're almost cheering for. It's a cathartic ending. It's not creepy because you're glad that it's happening to this person. Kirk. Uh, I think this is the closest fight so far. Um, superlatives are always another uh, difficult fight to have because uh, you got a specific word you got to prove. And there was a lot of like creepy versus gross versus violent versus this versus that. Um, I think they both did a good job selling their uh, point, but I did still give the slight edge to Bill um, just because I do think that Bill 
Um, like Brian said, I think he took a lot of wind out of Mike Sells when he pointed out that this is the climax of the movie where it's a different feeling and a different mood than you would have at the beginning with this thing that you don't see, you, you haven't seen yet, you don't, don't know exactly what's going to happen. And Bill just really sold, painted a, another great picture of his scene. You know, he put a lot of, you know, I, I felt him being creeped out by this. So um, I think for all those reasons, I went with Bill. All right, my vote doesn't count. I also went with Bill. I think that Mike did a good job. I thought the point about saying, like, you're, it's gross, it's not creepy was a good point because that's kind of what I was thinking up to that point. But then Bill really hammered in why, yes, it's gross, but it's also creepy. Like, the build up to it, his point about saying, like, this is towards the beginning and we've never seen this puppet before, so we don't know what she's going to do and the tension is building. Um, I think that if also the point of just saying like yeah it is at the end of the movie if mike you know maybe if you're watching mike's scene just on youtube and you haven't seen the whole movie like it could be creepy but in the context of the whole film it's actually more of like a hell yeah type of moment so um i get what mike was going for but i did go for bill so uh bill wins the point it is two to one in favor of bill which means uh mike needs to hit this one in order to send it to the bonus so the question was drafted by Mike in the category of Middle Earth. And the uh, question is, what is the best performance in the Hobbit trilogy? So, Mike, you get to kick this one off. You got one minute when you start talking. I chose Martin Freeman and Bobo Baggins. <laughs> We're gonna freaking Bill, who has one minute when he starts off. <clears throat> to be clear, not a fan of the Hobbit trilogy, but if there's one thing I am a fan of about it that made these movies worthwhile, it is Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, not only killing it in the dragon roll Smaug, but he's also pulling double duty. And he is the necromancer slash Saruman. And he's, or, sorry. And uh, he is murdering it with just a vo vocal performance. Because uh, we saw how well Andy Serkis did in the original trilogy and how great he was with just a motion cap and vo vocal performance. And Benedict Cumberbatch takes that baton and then runs a marathon with it of delivering a fantastic performance that all of these movies build around like it is all hinging on the job he is doing as the very real credible threat that he is and he is nailing it like only he can cool okay all right uh martin freeman versus benedict cumberbatch five minutes when one of you starts talking I think you're saying the whole thing hinges on him. No, it hinges on fucking Bilbo Baggins because the whole story is about Bilbo Baggins and his fucking journey with the Doris. And Martin Freeman takes that role and fucking makes it his. You believe that man is a fucking hobbit all day and every day. You don't believe that um, Benedict Cumberbatch is a dragon because guess what? Dragons don't fucking talk. That's where we're going with this. Dragons don't talk. Neither do trees, but we don't have a problem with that in these fucking movies. Anyway, anyway, um, Cumberbatch's whole performance comes down to presence, and he has it in every scene that he's in. I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on Smog first because 
there is just menace every time he's there. He's almost like toying with everything. It is so good. Like uh, when the bard fires the arrows uh, up at Smog, it's like one of the best scenes. And he's just his delivery of the line Bowman is just like so good. For Lehman's performance, I mean, let's face it, for a movie called The Hobbit, really not doing a whole lot with him in this or his perspective of things. In fact, a lot of the time, spotlight's on Thorin, and it's almost more his story. It's like basically like uh, I'm he's like the C-3PO of this where Thorin is basically built up to be the Luke Skywalker. Not at all. You have the opening of them at the par- uh, the party scene of them all the dwarves arriving at the house, and you de- you see how much shit he has to go through that. So you get the feeling of who Bilbo is dealing with all these fuckheads, stealing all his fucking food and and his fucking drinks and shit. And he's trying to be hospitable, but he's also getting pissed off. And then you have the scene with Gollum and him together, and getting the ring from him. And then you also have the scene with Smog. And Bilbo out fucking smarting him the entire time. It is focused on Bilbo throughout all three of these movies. Except for the third one where he's basically just Thorin's conscience and that's really all there is to it. Like, there's more a focus on Frodo in the original trilogy. Like, you felt like it was his movie. Like, it was his journey. Whereas in this one, his name isn't even in fucking everything. It's all about Smaug and him and the fight there. And not only that, we're building up to the big bad who once again... Killing it. Here's the beauty of Benedict Cumberbatch and what he managed to do with this. When he went to do the whole, first off, he had to learn this dark language, which is a fucking made up thing to begin with. And him and Peter Jackson got together and they knew like, hey, what if I actually record all this backwards and then we play it backwards? So when it comes through, it gives it more of an ethereal kind of guttural, kind of weird, kind of otherworldly sound. And that really really digs into the performance because he has to figure out like, okay, I want the cadence to be at the end. So I got to start big and end small. And every time you hear his voice in those scenes, it's like daggers down my spine. And especially with Smaug, he's in a suit. He's doing all these things. They literally had to film him and he is killing it in every single second Freeman is is borderline serviceable by the end of it. I mean, like, he's not really bringing anything to it. Enholm was, like, much more memorable in that part, and he was barely in, like, two movies. I'm just saying. If you're going to bring up the uh, the that his name in all three movies, there is. It's a fucking Hobbit. He is the Hobbit, so he's in all three titles. Smog is only in 20 minutes of the movie, and he dies in the third one within five minutes. So, yeah, he's not in really majority of the fucking movies. Bilbo is streamed throughout these movies. It's his fucking movie throughout. Yes, Thorin has the big aspect of his journey, but it all builds around Bilbo and why Bilbo is on this journey because he's helping these characters through every moment that they have, including Gandalf. He is the center of it all. He's the one that makes it all work throughout. He's the one that gets the ring. He's the one that goes to get the treasure. He's the one that faces off with Smog and gets out of there and gets the thing, and then they finally do kill him in the fucking um, uh, town. Cool, these are all really cool action set pieces, but there's nothing memorable about what he brings to that performance. Oh, whereas, yes, does. whereas Benedict, everything about what he did in this film was just him let loose and allowed to do everything that he wants. And just every scene he's in, he may not have a lot of time, but the presence that he has pays off dividends. And you wouldn't like 
you wouldn't feel the same way if it would have been like, I'm phoning this in and this is just going to be a whatever performance where Benedict Cumberbatch is bringing his A-game through this and once again proves we either need a voice actor or a motion capture Oscar because God damn it, do we deserve it, especially after watching what he managed to bring to this character. At the end Both of, the of them. Journey. Time. Okay. Uh, Bill, we're going to start with you. You have one minute to close when you start talking. The fact that they had Benedict Cumberbatch pull double duty with two different roles, and I didn't even know that he played two different roles. That's how goddamn good he is. He has this just absolute menace when he wants to, but then he can just be smug and from afar, and everything about him just works and then he can just be scary. And then he does it again completely differently. The fact that he even knew to like, hey, let me tweak with the way we do this dialogue and the way we record it. And it's going to just bring more of just like an absolute terror. And it pays off because this guy is brilliant and he is acting his ass off. You don't even see him on the screen, but you remember everything he does. Because Benedict Cumberbatch just leaves his just fingerprints all over this in two roles. That's how good he is. They said, hey, we need you to do both of these things. He's like, fucking that's a weekend. Let's go get me in there. Strap that suit on me, and I will show you why I'm one of the best guys going in Hollywood today because Benedict Cumberbatch fucking kills it twice. Time. All right. Uh, we're going to bring in Mike for his closing. Mike, you have one minute when you start talking. Solo is the heart of the Hobbit trilogy, and the reason why is the end of the Hobbit, Unexpected Journey, he has a conversation with Thorne where they have not treated him with respect this entire time. They think he's a loser. They think that he is not worthy, but he ends up saving him from the fucking um, uh, the trolls, whatever you call it. He saves him from them, and then they have the emotional moment. And after that emotional moment, they start respecting him. And as fans, you see it throughout the rest of the trilogy that he is respected, that he has pulled through this journey. Benedict Cumberbatch's role is good. But Andy Serkis did it better with Gollum, especially in the own movie of Hobbit Unexpected Journey. The character of Gollum takes it over from Benedict. Okay. Bring in the judges. <clears throat> All right. I'm going first. Um, this one made me sad because I, I, I love Middle Earth. Um, and I really like one of these three movies. I bet you can't guess which one. Um, so I went with Bill. Um, if the question had been best character, Mike wins it hands down. Mike did a really good job of telling me why Bilbo was important to the story um and how the character um outsmarts smog has the great moments with Gollum. um i thought he did a great job with that but i didn't hear anything about the performance what martin freeman specifically is bringing to it in the performance um so my personal bias I think Martin Freeman is very good as Bilbo, uh, but I had to go with Bill because Bill talked exclusively about the performance. Uh, Brian, where are you going? Uh, well, actually, this uh, debate convinced me that the best performance in the film was Bill's choice of uh, <laughs> of uh, 
Benedict Cumberbatch. I think that I, you kind of said everything that I was going to say in that, you know, I think that Mike uh, did a great job pitching why he's uh, the better character, the more important character, and he, ha he has more scenes and more uh, things to do and, and important moments in the movie. But as far as the performance and what the actual actor brought to it, I agree that, that uh, Bill just made a good pitch for Benedict. All right, uh, Kirk, your vote doesn't count, uh, but where would you have gone? I also went with Bill. Um, I think we're just seeing Bill really develop as a player here because what he did was pretty brilliant. He said, here's all the reasons why my my performance is great and your character isn't very important. And he got Mike to just argue the importance of his character instead of the performance. I think on paper, Mike wins this. Um, but I think Bill manipulated the game enough that he got it in his direction. For Mike's argument, I'm sitting, I'm sitting there thinking, if I, there's two or three things that Bill left on the table for Mike to pick up, and if he picks them up here in the argument, I'm giving Mike my point. And Mike just didn't grab him. Um, but I think Bill really just, you know, swung that argument the way he wanted to go and kind of controlled it from the beginning. Um, so, like I said, I think Mike, Mike had some great points, but Bill just, just like I said, he took control of it. Yeah. All right. Well, that means your winner is Bill Cariola. Uh, we're going to start by talking to Mike. Mike, great job. You won a point. Oh, yeah. Without remembering the fucking questions. Let's go. Let's go. We got two <laughs> votes, one yeah. point. I'll Impressive. take it. How are you feeling, man? Oh, I'll take it. That's all I wanted. I wanted a vote. And I got, I not only got a vote, I got a fucking question. <laughs> I got a win on a question. I'll take that shit all day. Yeah. Uh, and would you have guessed that it would have been on, uh, you know, random, like, what was it, fantasy movie? I don't, I didn't expect to win any of these. <laughs> 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 That's what it be real. I didn't expect to win any of them. That's fair. Uh, Mike, this does mean that you're out of the tournament. Tell me, uh, I did not know I was in, which is awesome. That's fair. Uh, anybody you want to play when you come back? Punky Brewster. We can do that. We can set that up. Great job, Mike. Uh, we'll see you again later this season as we bring in Bill. Bill, number one seed, gets his first win in the tournament. How are you feeling? Uh, you know, that was that was actually a lot of fun. Uh, well, sad. I, I, I thought I could run the whole thing, and then uh, yeah, I got tripped up in Rain of Fire. I forgot if that movie kind of does rule. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it is kind of a rad-ass movie, to be clear. So, and Crow's not great, but I was like, I don't know what the fuck else to go with. So I was like, ah, the fucking glaive. So what are you going to do? But I came back. I knew this was going to be a hoot, and I'm glad Mike was exactly as much fun as I knew he would be. So this is actually just very, very good time. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good, especially because my nose stopped bleeding after my last match finally. So that's good. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, so this does mean that you're moving on to the tournament. Um, cool. You get you get a bit of a break um, because round one is long since we've yeah. gone up the other week. Um, but uh, you're going to get to play somebody else. Um, I don't want to say who yet because... If I Venmo you $5, will you kind of just give me a list of names? Uh, off, I could maybe call? give you a list of names after the match. Cool. But, oh, uh, yeah. We will see you very soon uh, once we hit round two. And uh, hey, and under an hour. I'm efficient. Good to have true. that. You're welcome, judges. No bonus question. Makes me very <laughs> pleased. So, uh, Bill, great job. Can't wait to see you in round two. Let's get final thoughts. We'll start with Kirk. Final thoughts from you. Uh, yeah, like I said, um, Bill's really coming into his own. Um, I think you were seeing his improvement. Um, I think Bill started out kind of 
in the you know he was kind of like like Mike like an unorthodox player, you know didn't take wasn't taking himself too seriously, maybe wasn't taken too seriously by some of his opponents. Um, but we've seen that develop into something kind of dangerous. And I think Mike has that potential too. If Mike takes his style and focuses that, and uh, which I don't think Mike's going to do, but I'm just talking. Um, if, I don't think Mike has any interest in doing that. But if he does, and he did, I think Mike could be really good at this game because I think if he takes his, you know, left field stuff and really, you know, hones it in, he can hurt some people. But um, good match. Uh, I'm excited to see Bill moving on. And uh, Brian, final thoughts from you? Yeah, I mean, Bill was the number one team coming into this for a reason. I mean, he showed what he could do in the previous in, in the previous season, and obviously he's doing a great job here already. Um, admittedly, it was against Mike, who, you know, Mike uh, comes here to have fun. Mike's not here to really compete. He's not here to really win. I mean, so, I mean, you can tell him, you know, use your time better to make your argument. And if he wanted to, I'm sure he could. But he doesn't care. He didn't even know he's in the tournament. I'm sure he doesn't even really care if he's even expecting to move on the tournament. So he's here to have fun, and he succeeded in that. So it was good. That's fair. All right. Well, we will see you guys in a couple weeks with the next tournament match. Uh, coming up in two weeks, we have the number two seed, Jacoby Bancroft, returning, uh, going up against the number 15 seed, Adelaide Spence. So that's going to be the next match. We'll see you guys in a couple weeks for that. But until then, thank you for watching Fan Zone Debate. We'll see you next time. Bye. There we go. Thank you very much. Please come again. We have a lot more groceries.